Welcome to the Award Travel 101 podcast. My name is Jeff Brownson and I'm your host. My full-time job is managing the Award Travel 101 Facebook group. That group is made up of over 60,000 people who travel the world using miles and points. Our group members not only love to learn about award travel, but they are happy to share, teach, and help others learn to travel the world on any budget. This podcast not only gets into the details of award travel and using miles and points, but it also takes a look at my life running a Facebook group full-time and the lives of our members as they travel the world. Have you earned plenty of miles, but you aren't sure what to do next? Are you struggling to find the flights you need to get where you want to go? If you need some help with an award booking, stop by the Award Travel 101 Facebook group and check out our new weekend thread, The Weekend Burn. Just give us the details of what you're looking to book, and some of our 60,000 plus members will help you find the best way to burn those hard-earned miles and points. When we started the transition of Award Travel 101 from Richard over to myself, we sat down and recorded a short podcast so you would have some idea who I was, where I was coming from, and why I would be taking over the show. Last week, you had the opportunity to meet my wife. You heard about her background, the amazing things she does teaching, and how she helps us when we travel. This week, it's time to learn a little bit more about me. I figure you should know who I am since you're going to be hearing from me every week from here on out. So today's podcast is going to be 10 things you might not know about your host, Jeff Brownson. Let's get started. Number one, my degree is in mechanical engineering. You may be thinking to yourself, what's an engineer doing running a Facebook group? Shouldn't that be someone who did social media or something like that? Well, you never know where life's going to take you, as you'll learn as we talk about a little bit of my career path. The college I went to was Worcester Polytechnic Institute up in Massachusetts. And for those who are paying attention, that's where I became a big Red Sox fan. After school, I got my first job with Lincoln Electric, selling welders and welding equipment. It was a technical sales job, and before we got started out on the road, they brought us in for about 11 months of welding training, so I learned how to weld pretty much anything you could throw at me. Years passed after I left that job, and when I first moved down here to D.C., I got a job as an examiner at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I examined rotary kinetic machines and impellers, which some of you might not know what that means, but basically it was anything that spins and deals with energy, whether it uses energy to spin or whether it spins to create energy. So things like wind turbines, helicopter rotors, pumps, and of course, jet turbine engines. That was the part I was really interested in. But since I left college, I've spent the majority of my time not working in engineering. They say it's hard to pick a major and hard to figure out what you want to do with your life. And I still really love the technical side of things and engineering design. But that's just not where I've ended up over the years. That brings us to number two. I've always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, and I've owned multiple businesses throughout the years. Those range from a little business that I started after watching, I think it was a special on PBS, my wife and I sat down to try to do some hand painting on glassware. 
It turns out I was really good at it. And before I knew it, I was going to craft shows, and I had my glassware in five or six different stores around the Binghamton area. People were buying it for weddings, people were buying it to have around the house, and I still have some hand-painted glassware laying around at my house and that of my parents. The business made a little bit of money, but not too much, and it was very labor-intensive, so eventually I let that one go. Later on, I started a trackable clothing business for geocaching. For those that aren't familiar, geocaching is kind of a game, or I guess they maybe call it a sport, though it's not really, but you get coordinates, you can download coordinates and descriptions of these hidden caches, and then you use the GPS coordinates to go out and search for them and find them. They're all over the world, and it's actually a great way to see some things you might not normally see when you're traveling. They're often at points of interest, whether they be historical or just cool places like bridges and great views. Well, there are things that you can put in these caches that are trackable. They have little numbers and they have web pages for each one, and you can go and say where you saw it and when you found it and where you moved it from place to place. And I thought, why not do that with clothes too? So people who are out geocaching, when they meet up with other cachers, can find those clothes, can track them, and when you go to events, people will be able to log in that they saw you there. That business took off pretty well, and I was doing well with it, but when I moved down here to Virginia, unfortunately, I lost the way I was doing it. I was working with a friend of mine who had an embroidery and screen printing business in Pennsylvania, and it just didn't make sense to do shipping back and forth. So again, that business went away. But now here I am with Award Travel 101. I am an employee of Award Wallet, but it's kind of like I have my own thing again. Just where I'm comfortable being. Number three often catches people by surprise when it comes up in conversation. When I was living in Pennsylvania for about seven or eight years, I owned a KFC restaurant. Well, technically, I was a partner in a KFC restaurant, and I was in business with my father-in-law. But I did own 40% of the store, and I managed the day-to-day -day operations, from hiring staff, to doing scheduling, to doing ordering, to dealing with all the problems that come up in a restaurant environment every day. It was a tough job, but it was fun, and I enjoyed my time there. Eventually, since working with family is a little bit tough, I ended up selling my share back to my father-in-law. We decided that it was best to maintain a family relationship and actually be able to talk to each other than to keep working together. Over the years, I met lots of people in the Hazleton area, and I still keep in touch with several of my employees. Although instead of the teenage kids they were when, they, when I hired them, they're now grown up and have families of their own. One's even a police officer in New York City, and I think a couple might be in the Award Travel 101 Facebook group. It's great to see how their lives are progressing and how their families are growing, and every now and then as I travel through the country, I get to meet up with one or two of my former employees, and we can trade stories about the restaurant back in the day. Number four takes us up in the air, but not for very long. Some of you may be surprised to hear that I'm a licensed skydiver. That's right, as much as we fly around the world in this hobby and take planes to get from place to place, I'm one of those crazy people who jumps out of them. I guess I should say I used to be. 
I broke my collarbone a few years back, and I'm just not sure that I could take the freefall anymore, so I haven't jumped in several years. But when we were living in Pennsylvania is when I got started. It turns out that's the best place you could possibly start skydiving. Because the tiny town of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, there's a tiny little airport, and it's run by the world record holder for the most skydives ever. He and his wife, who I think is probably one or two in the world for number of skydives by a woman, run this little place with a couple of little Cessna aircraft, and it's an amazing way to learn. Don has jumped over 40,000 times, and is a world record holder, has been on the cover of the world record, and a kind of cool thing is whenever I went up in the air with him, when we came down, we were setting a world record. I got started skydiving because it's something I always wanted to do. You could say it's a bucket list item, though I kind of hate that term. So my wife worked it out for my 30th birthday. She had met one of the owners of the skydiving center at a teaching workshop, and they got to talking. And before she knew it, she had set me up to do a tandem skydive for my 30th birthday. That would have been all the normal person needed, but unfortunately, I'm not the normal person. When I got down to the ground after that tandem skydive, I walked over and my wife said, how was it? And I said, I have good news and bad news. I said, the good news is, it was amazing. The bad news is, I'm definitely doing that again. Within a few months, I had started my training to get my skydiving license. I eventually bought my own rig, had my own chute, and jumped over 76 times. The interesting thing is, and working towards that license, I didn't really pay for it with money like you normally would. It turns out, on Saturdays and Sundays, the skydiving center was really busy, and it was tough for the workers to get out and get lunch. So we worked out a deal that I had someone from the KFC restaurant bring chicken in for them for lunch, and we traded that as payment for my skydiving lessons. Remember how I said I had jumped 76 times? Well, that brings us to an interesting fun fact about me. I said before that they had a couple of Cessna aircraft, but what's interesting is I have taken off in a Cessna aircraft 76 times, and never in my life have I landed in one. I always get out up there in the air. Overall, I have over 33 total minutes of freefall, and I loved every second of it. Number five is something that I think is becoming less and less common with people that I meet, and that's that I'm handy around the house. In fact, I can do most types of home improvement projects on my own, from electrical to plumbing to drywall to tile to framing up a new room or a new wall. I learned how to do all of that from my dad as I grew up. Over the years, I've built things like porches, screened-in decks, I've built new walls, I've built new rooms, I've replaced all of the electrical, and I've even flipped a house for profit. That's an interesting story. When I was living in Pennsylvania, I got a call one day from one of my friends. I grew up in upstate New York, and he still lived up there. And he said, hey, do you want to flip a house? And I kind of laughed and said, do you realize we live in different states? And he said, yes. Do you want to flip a house? And we talked for a little bit, and I said, sure. 
It was an odd decision, considering I was about three hours from where we ended up buying the house. But I drove up there on weekends. Over the course of the year, we fixed it up, and we ended up making a decent profit. It was certainly a learning experience. I didn't end up continuing in the flipping business, but he still does today, and every year he flips probably four or five different houses and makes a good deal of money in it. I kind of think maybe he owes me a commission from that because I was his learning experience. But anyway, it was a fun thing to do. The next call that I got from him after that was all over was even better. When we sold the house, we had had all our money in a credit union, and my dad was the closest to one to the location of that credit union, so we had him split up the money and send us both a check. Now to this day, I don't know if my dad did the math wrong, which would be really odd because he's quite good at math, or if we had a deposit come in that we weren't expecting, or what happened. But a couple years ago, when I was going to the Chicago seminars, when I landed in Chicago, I had a phone call and a message from Bill, and it said, Hey, I got this weird call from the credit union. Give me a call back and let me know what you think. So I called him back, and he said that he got a call from the credit union saying that our account was about to hit the 30-month mark without any activity, and they wanted to close it, so they wanted to know where to send the money. He said, um... I don't think there's much money in it. And they said, no, there's about 16000 So we talked about it. We looked back at our records. We tried to figure it out. And who knows where that money came from or whose it was. But we just split it down the middle. And I got an extra $8,000 I didn't think I was going to have. Sure, maybe that 16000 was all mine. And in the end, I lost $8,000. But we both ended happy and with an $8,000 paycheck that we weren't expecting. Now let's get into a little bit of the things that I did when I was growing up. These things have stuck with me, so it makes sense to talk about them. Number six in the things that you should know about me is very simple. Soccer, or as the rest of the world calls it, football. When I was growing up, I played a lot. In high school, I played on a travel team where in the summer I had tournaments every weekend out of town. We played in two different leagues, so we had games and practices pretty much every night of the week. We played indoor soccer, we played school soccer, we played soccer all the time. I don't play anymore because I've managed to get pretty out of shape, but I am a huge fan of soccer. I watch a lot of DC United games because they're my local MLS team. And I'm also a member of the American Outlaws, which is the main fan club for U.S. soccer. I travel around the country and around the world cheering on the U.S. men's and women's national teams, and most recently I was in France for the Women's World Cup. I was in the country for about 28 days and saw everything from the opening match of the tournament and all three group games for the U.S. women to the semifinal match. Sadly, I had to come home before the final, but I did get a chance to watch that with an American Outlaws chapter up in Syracuse. So it was a great time watching them win the World Cup. I'll keep supporting the U.S. teams, and hopefully the men will make it back to the World Cup next time. And I'll definitely keep following along with the women, because they are absolutely amazing. I've had some great times traveling with the American Outlaws, whether it be domestic trips to Nashville or New Jersey, and I've had some amazing times with them over in France. In a few weeks, you'll probably hear from my buddy Ray. I recorded an episode with him a while back for my other podcast, and I think it'll fit in here too. 
but he'll be talking about how he travels with the American Outlaws, some of the places he's gone, the things he's seen, and how much fun it can be to travel and cheer on your favorite team. Number seven may not be that hard to figure out if you're ever around me when there's music playing. You may see my toe tapping, my fingers drumming along, and that's because I'm a drummer. A percussionist, you might say. This was something that I did a lot of when I was younger, and I really miss it, so I'm starting to get a little bit more into things. I recently had my conga drums brought up from my parents' house, and they're sitting behind me in the office here as I record, so maybe after I'm done, I'll go play a little bit. When I was in elementary school, all the kids wanted to play percussion, so they made a rule that you couldn't start percussion until a year after you could start any other instruments. We kind of got around that, and I started taking private lessons the same time that every other kid started their instruments at school. When time came for me to start percussion the next year, I was easily the best in the class. I quickly outgrew my school band directors in the school band program, so I started taking private lessons with the head percussionist of the Syracuse Symphony. I worked my way into area all-county bands, all-state bands, and even eventually became the head percussionist in the Syracuse Symphony Youth Orchestra. I held that position for all three years when I was in high school. When it comes to the drums and the instrument of percussion, there isn't much that I didn't learn how to play. Everything from a snare drum and bass drum to a drum set to marimbas, xylophones, bells, even the triangle. I remember how to play most of it, too. Sure, it may take me a little bit of fiddling around if you were to hand me four mallets for my two hands and put me in front of a marimba, but I'm pretty sure it would come back to me very quickly. Percussion and music as a whole is definitely something I seek out when I'm traveling. Whether I'm somewhere like New Orleans, which is famous for their jazz and always has a good beat going, or I'm wandering through the middle of a city in Europe, and kind of off in the distance hear a little bit of music playing. I'm always drawn over to wherever that is. Havana, Cuba was a great place, too. It seemed that wherever we went and whenever we sat down for a meal, within a few minutes there was a live band playing in that restaurant. It was awesome to have the music and the rhythm of the city as we walked around. And since we're talking about travel, let's move over and talk about flights a little bit. I didn't fly a lot when I was younger. I guess my parents tell me that I did technically take a flight at six months old to Denver and back, but for some reason I don't remember that. The first flight that I remember wasn't until I was almost 18 years old. I was in high school, and it's a flight you heard about on the last podcast. It was the group trip to Zimbabwe where I actually met my wife. I guess that means that I was meant to fly if something that great happened the first time I really was on a long-haul flight. Since then, you can probably figure out I've taken a lot of flights. I take a lot every year. In fact, I've taken several this month. But that just goes to show that you don't have to start super early if you want to have a great travel life. Sure, my kids have been to many, many countries and several continents, but not everyone has to start when they're young. No matter how old you are or where you are in life, it's a great time to start traveling and start flying around the world. Number nine is kind of still travel related, though we move from the way we get there to what you do on the ground. 
and that's the evolution of my eating. Growing up, I had the palate of a child. I was a child. That made sense. I loved macaroni and cheese, I loved burgers, I loved chicken fingers, everything that an American kid likes to eat. But I took it a step farther, and even into college, I didn't like any kind of sauce on any sandwiches, I didn't like any kind of toppings, I wanted everything plain, I didn't like spicy, I didn't like any sort of Indian or Mexican or Thai foods or anything like that. I only liked basic plain foods. Somewhere something changed. And I can't figure out exactly where it is, and my wife doesn't remember where it is, but now I'm kind of the opposite end of that spectrum. I eat pretty much anything I can find. If something comes with a sauce, I try it. If something's a strange dish I've never seen before, I try it. Honestly, as I'm traveling around the world, street food is my absolute favorite. If I can get something and I'm not sure what it is, but I can see that it was cooked well, I will try it. And there's definitely dishes throughout the world that I've eaten, and I still to this day don't know what it was that I ate. Usually I can tell that it might be a meat or a vegetable, but sometimes you can't even tell that. I love trying new flavors, new sauces, new spicy levels, and new things around the world, and I will continue to eat things as I travel around this world because there is so much out there. The good part of that is, and the fact that I always eat street foods and, street foods and fresh vegetables and all that kind of thing, is I think I got over all of my sickness and have made my stomach a little bit stronger over the years. Now I can pretty much eat anything wherever I go, and I don't really have any issues. Okay, now let's bring our list to a close, with number 10 being kind of a summary of my travels. I've been, at this point, to 51 countries and 40 states. Most of those countries, since beginning working with award travel, credit card points, hotel points, and airline miles. Out of all the places that I've been, I've taken the most trips to Germany. I go every couple years to Oktoberfest. I've been several other times to German cities, and my next trip to Germany is actually coming up in just a few weeks. And after my long time in France this summer, France is the country that I've spent the most time in. It will be interesting to see if any other countries can take the lead in either of those categories, because I really don't have any plans to stop traveling to either Germany or France. But who knows? I may find a new loved place, and it'll shoot right by them. As far as the U.S. goes, I have 10 states left. New Mexico, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Kentucky, and Arkansas. You'll notice most of those are in the middle of the country. But what you can also think about is if you're looking for an Award Travel 101 meetup or a conference coming in the next few years, you can bet one or two of them are going to be in the states that I have left to visit. So that's all I've got for you today. Ten things that you probably didn't know about me. You got to hear a little bit about my background. You got to hear about some of the things that I love the most and you got to hear a couple of hints of where you might be seeing some meetups as time goes on. Next week, we'll get back to an interview with one of the personalities in the travel world or an update on some of the programs that you guys participate in. If you think you have an interesting story and you want to be on the podcast, contact me through the Facebook group, and we'll see if we can set up a time to do an interview. 
If you're enjoying the Award Travel 101 podcast, be sure to subscribe. Also, leave us a rating or review so others can see what you liked. Definitely be sure to tell your friends to have a listen. Until next time, safe travels wherever you're headed, and we'll see you over on Facebook in the Award Travel 101 group.